Today is one of the greatest feasts of the church year, the greatest, one of the greatest, because we have it from the mouth of our Lord himself. Amen, I say to you, there hath not risen among them that are born of women a greater than John the Baptist. Today we often give very little thought to John the Baptist. We may think of him uh, mostly during Advent, when he appears in uh, uh, some of the, at least three of the Sunday Gospels. Um, uh, of the Advent season. But he wouldn't be a saint, at least in our Western tradition, who would have much of a following or much of a devotion, uh, uh, at least in these days. There used to be, however, a, an extremely fervent, widespread devotion to John the Baptist. Uh, and the proof of that is when you look at the Confidior at the beginning of Mass, what do we say? I confess to God Almighty, to Blessed Mary Ever-Virgin, to Blessed John the Baptist. Blessed John the Baptist is, uh, uh, sorry, we, we say Michael the Archangel first, sorry. So there's Our Lady, Michael the Archangel, and then John the Baptist. And so Our Lady is uh, higher than the angels. John the Baptist is just below. Uh, uh, he is the greatest of those born of women. Yesterday, here at Silverstream, we followed the wonderful old and at one time universal tradition of the St. John's Fire. In Ireland, this used to be ubiquitous. It was everywhere. I think it's still done in some places, although unfortunately the midsummer festivals have all become rather neo-pagan. Uh, but what's ironic about that is that it's the church's tradition, which is the one that descends uh, uh, from, from the older tradition, which the church was able to take and baptize. Now, the, the date of St. John's uh, feast is independent of the midsummer, but the coincidence was such that the church said, ah, okay, so the people are used to doing this on Midsummer's Day, so we're going to teach them that Christ has fulfilled everything. And so even the, the, the harmless practices uh, that the pagans had of celebrating the, the day and the year which has the most light, the most sunlight, we're going to uh, uh, celebrate that in honor of the one who our Lord himself said was a shining and a burning light. The one who bore witness to the true light that lightens every man that comes into the world. The summer light from now on begins to decrease little by little. And this is exactly what John the Baptist said. He said, I must decrease. And at the point of the least sunlight in the year, which is in December, uh, between the Feast of the Immaculate Conception and the, the birth of our Lord, 
the light begins to slowly increase. And so our Lord is that light that John the Baptist came to, to witness to, which grows, 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 ever so slightly, beginning with his nativity, our Lord's nativity. So I must decrease, he must increase. It is also interesting to note that there are only three human beings in the church's calendar that we celebrate on their actual birthday. Think about that for a minute. Three people, our Lord, Christmas Day, Our Lady, September the 8th, and today's feast, John the Baptist, the 24th of June. All other saints in the church are commemorated on the day of their death, which is sometimes called their natal day, the day of their birth into eternal life, or sometimes some other time in their life. And of course, the feasts of the angels are not dependent on that, but they're chosen for other reasons. But never are human beings, saint, sainted human beings, uh, uh, celebrated on their earthly birthdays. They're coming forth from the womb of their mother. We are also familiar with the fact that our Lord's conception is commemorated on the Annunciation, the 25th of March. And of course, our ladies conception, her immaculate conception, is celebrated uh, in December, uh, right be- only uh, very shortly before uh, the birth of our Lord. Like I said, uh, when the light is at its lowest, it is with the conception of Our Lady and the birth of our Lord that starts to go up, 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 up. What you might not know is that in the Eastern Orthodox churches and in the Byzantine Greek Catholic churches, so the Orthodox churches being those who are not in union with the Pope, but are still Catholic in their liturgical life and in their beliefs, and also the Byzantine Greek Catholics who are in communion with the Pope and who have the same customs as the Orthodox, that in these churches there is a feast of the conception of John the Baptist. It's very interesting. A feast of the conception of John the Baptist. It's very uh, significant. And there are a lot of reasons, uh, perhaps, why uh, he has a feast uh, in those churches of his conception. But I'd like to highlight one aspect of why these conceptions of our Lord, of Our Lady, and of John the Baptist are significant. And that is that all of these conceptions are in some way a divine intervention to reverse the order of nature in order to bring the Messiah into the world. Because as we know, our Lord was born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Our Lord is completely from outside of 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 our frame of reference from outside of the natural order of things. It is God reaching down and intervening in the course of the world, in the history of the world, in the order of things. And so our Lord and Our Lady, His Mother, (coughs) and John the Baptist, His forerunner, 
are all conceptions that are miraculous. The womb of Our Lady's mother Anna, as we know from holy tradition, was barren because Joachim and Anna were older, like Abraham and Sarah, or like uh, Anna in the Old Testament, in the book of Samuel, the first book of Samuel, or the first book of Kings, depending on which Bible you have, that they, these couples were all barren. And in the Jewish tradition, this was an awful fate, an awful fate for any couple. It was more than an embarrassment. And Psalm 127 is proof of that. Psalm 127 says, Blessed are all they who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labors of thy hands. Blessed art thou, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as the fruitful vine upon the walls of thy house. Thy children like the olive branches round about thy table. Lo, thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. And so when you read this psalm, and you yourself are barren and in old age and have not been blessed with children, you might start to think that perhaps I'm one who, has, who is not one who fears the Lord. I'm not blessed. Perhaps my childlessness, my barrenness, my fruitfulness is a sign of God's displeasure, a sign that perhaps I am a great sinner and am being punished. <coughs> but as I said, God reaches down in the fullness of time, in the, in the, the, the last days, as, as we call them, from the time of our Lord until our time, we're in the last days. He reaches down out of heaven and changes the order of things. So that what was once shameful, what was once a curse, what was once uh, the worst possible thing that a, a, a mother or a father or a, a, a wife or a husband uh, would have to endure, namely the shame of being childless, being barren, God reaches down into that barrenness and makes it the, the source, the matrix of grace. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. And he uses, as we know, the things that are foolish, the things that are base, the things that are weak in order to show his great power. And so the prophetic witness, uh, for instance, in the prophet Isaiah chapter 35, says that the land that was desolate and impassable shall be glad, and the wilderness shall rejoice and shall flourish like the lily. It shall bud forth and blossom and shall rejoice with joy and praise. Waters are broken out in the desert and streams in the wilderness. And that which was dry land shall become a pool 
and the thirsty land springs of water. This is what our Lord does with his world, his world that has been made barren with sin, fruitless. We who, because of the sin of our first parents, could, in the, in the, the, uh, the wording of, of uh, a couple of our prayers in the Roman Rite, we could do no good thing uh, without God's help. Of ourselves and by ourselves, we could not do something that would uh, uh, merit salvation. Our Lord needed to reach down and change the order of things. And this is exactly what he did. So, I'd like to read to you from, I referred to the Eastern Orthodox and Byzantine Greek Catholic churches earlier. And for this feast, some of the hymns that are in that, that tradition are unbelievable. And they're based on this whole image of barrenness and divine fruitfulness. Natural barrenness, divine fruitfulness. First of all, I'd like to read to you, see if I can find it here. church say things like this. It's, it's a very extensive tradition. The hymns go on and on and on and on. In the Latin church we have little snippets, little antiphons, hymns here and there, more psalms, more scripture we have in our tradition. But in the Byzantine church it's like this explosion of hymnody. They're singing hymns, 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 hymns all the time. And in the, uh, uh, the Byzantine liturgy, the following is sung. These are just excerpts, by the way. Today, the great forerunner and the greatest of all the prophets appears from the fruitless womb of Elizabeth. For by the nativity of John, thou, God, didst end the silence and break the barrenness, preaching to the world the incarnation of the Son of God. Born from the womb of a barren woman is he who loosed the barrenness of our hearts. The glorious forerunner of the coming of Christ hath given our barren souls the word in truth and faith. So the barrenness of the womb of Elizabeth is an image of the barrenness of our souls, the fruitlessness of our souls, the fact that we could not produce the fruits that please God, and we needed God himself to come and show us the way and to give us the strength to do it. And John is the one who comes to prepare the way for that. And so his conception and his birth contain this basic symbol of what happens when we are saved. More hymns. 
Thou wast born of a barren woman, O forerunner, and into the barrenness of the law, grace has truly come to sin. And so the other image of barrenness is that of the law, the Jewish law. The Jewish law can only take you so far. It was good as for what it was, but it could not save. It could not bring grace. St. Paul says, all it could do is convince you that you're a sinner. Because it's very hard to keep. It's very hard to keep the law. And part of the, the divine pedagogy, the divine teaching, the way that our Lord teaches us, sinners, is first we have to know and admit that we are sinners and that we can't do it. And so this is the law, the Jewish law. And the hymn here speaks of the barrenness of the law. And into that empty shell, as it were, the Lord infuses his grace. I love this image. Now the fatted calf of abstinence is born from barren parents, showing us the young lamb born of a virgin. It's wonderful. St. John is spoken of as the fatted calf of abstinence. So the fatted calf, obviously, is a reference to the fatted calf that the father of the prodigal son slays for his son on the return of the sinner, the return of the son. So he's born from barren parents, showing us the young lamb born of the virgin. Elizabeth, who before was barren, prefigured the church of the Gentiles, O Christ, for by wondrously giving birth, she showed that which was once dry and barren, now to be fertile and bountiful. The Gentiles, you, are, you and I, unless there are some Jews here, I'm not sure, but most of us, I think, are Gentiles, we were fruitless. We could produce nothing that was pleasing to God. We were the barren woman. And so this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 54. He's speaking to the Gentiles and says, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For more are the children of the desolate than of her that hath a husband. We were like the Samaritan woman, but that we had no husband. Living outside of the covenant, living outside of the will of God. But again, the Lord reaches down and intervenes and changes that. So that the one that was once enthroned has now been thrown down. And the one that was humble has now been exalted. That's the Magnificat. That's Our Lady's Prayer. What she's referring to here is the changing uh, uh, of, of the, the covenants. That no longer is God's people going to be one nation that exalts itself over the others. Now the church is from all nations and is going to be made up of those who are humble and sick and feeble and barren. And God says, I do this because it shows my power. 
I can do nothing with a proud soul. I can work with humble souls. The forerunner of the Lord whom Elizabeth has borne to the priest from a barren woman, but not without seed. For Christ alone passed through an impassable dwelling place without seed. A barren woman gave birth to John, yet he was not born without the help of man. So the hymn is saying that there's a similarity with the conception of our Lord in the womb of his mother Mary, but that was done without a man. And so it's fitting in this way that the Son of God should come into the world, as St. John says again, not by the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but by the will of God alone. O all-glorious wonder, Zacharias, who was not persuaded by the word of the angel, when told that Elizabeth should conceive and bear a child, did ask, How shall she give birth, for she is barren, and I have grown old? And for this unbelief he was condemned to silence. Yet today he beholds the promised birth. He is loosed from his silence. He rejoices and he cries aloud. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who hath visited and redeemed his people, granting the world great mercy. So there's barrenness and there's also silence. We were silent. We were unable to speak. And when our Lord comes to heal the dumb, that's exactly what's being referred to. When our Lord does a healing, it's not just about the body. It's ultimately about the soul. And I love this, 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 this final hymn. Uh, the imagery is, is, is quite striking. Today through thy nativity, O John, the axe which has been forged for the hewing of barren souls plants the fruit of the virtues and comes forth, O forerunner John. Cease not ever to entreat the deliverer of the world that he may loose the spiritual barrenness of those who praise thy birth. So John the Baptist tells the Pharisees and the scribes, he says, even now the axe is laid at the, at, at, at the, at the stump of the tree. And the hymn here says that that's an image of our barren souls. And the, the hard outside of the wood has to be chopped so that the fruit of the virtues can be planted in it. The axe which has been forged for the hewing of barren souls. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful image. Because that is exactly what we are. We are hard, fruitless, we're barren. We could do nothing of ourselves. And so God sent his son, and before his son sent John the forerunner to prepare his way, to prepare the way of him who would, by his birth and by his conception, would change the order of nature through which God would make an intervention into our sinful, broken world 
And in that very brokenness and barrenness and fruitlessness would bring forth the most amazing fruit. In that dryness would bring forth a fountain of salvation. From lifelessness would bring forth the, the, uh, the planting of God's grace that would bring forth the medicine of life and the food which is the Holy Eucharist. Mary is the, the field spoken of in the Psalms when it says that the land hath yielded her fruit. Her fruit. Mary is that fertile land that could not be fertilized by, from a mere, in a mere, merely human way. It was the power of the Spirit that descended and what came forth was a Savior, the Son of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.